the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, it is. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It's nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer, Wednesday edition, the 22nd morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Coming up on the program today, a special guest, because you don't normally get him on uh, Wednesdays. Uh, he was at the uh, Republican retreat in Florida on Monday and Tuesday, which is why we couldn't talk to the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Ohio's own Jim Jordan. But we will have him this morning, coming up in one hour at 1010. We will talk to Congressman Jordan about a whole host of things, not the least of which, of course, is his committees, as well as other GOP chair committees, uh, call for Alvin Bragg, the... Uh, ridiculous i'm 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 going to look for adjectives to describe him that are a little more accurate he's he's ridiculous he's clownish he's embarrassing manhattan district attorney who is continuing to try to push a grand jury to return an indictment of donald trump over ridiculous charges for ridiculous reasons uh, in complete defiance of reason and common sense uh this is where we are jim jordan wants to make him 
explain those reasons. Explain why uh, they decided not to prosecute over 50% of the crimes in, uh, in, in Manhattan while the city or that borough technically uh, continues to become less and less safe for people, decent people, to walk their dogs, to shop in stores, to, uh, to uh, you know, partake in public life. Uh, he refuses to keep the city safe by prosecuting actual criminals, but he's going to spend this kind of time and this kind of effort trying to punish Donald Trump for uh, paying hush money to a porn star. Allegedly, something that his previous, his predecessor, rather, as a Manhattan district attorney, chose not to do because he knew it was unprovable. And quite frankly, literally, it is also ridiculous. Uh, but Alvin Bragg is being called to testify. He has spoken, by the way, back against Congressman Jordan and the House Republicans, uh, saying that he will not be a part of their own political persecution of him and that the rule of law in New York will stay, which is, again, is just comical. But Jim Jordan will will address that along with a whole host of other things, including how is it exactly that so many members of the Biden family got rich on Chinese money during Joe Biden's tenure as vice president of the United States? Hmm. That's a head scratcher. How did Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, and other Bidens make so much money from China? Did they have some sort of a strange Biden family investment over there? Or were they being, uh, was Joe Biden uh, selling access to the Obama White House uh, for the enrichment of his family members? Plus, don't forget, 10% for the big guy. So we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that as well. So that's coming up at 1010. Uh, at 11:10, Jack Windsor will join us. We're going to talk about Tom Patton. Are the chickens finally coming home to roost for one of the uh, gang of 22, one of the unrepentant gang of 22? And, of course, I'm speaking of uh, the state house uh, coup of 22 that uh, resulted in uh, the Republican caucus completely splitting. I would say down the middle, but not quite, because it's still 45 to 22. But a huge, massive crack in the... um, uh, unanimity of the caucus. The caucus said that they would unanimously support whoever won the caucus vote back in November to be Speaker. And then with their massive 67-seat majority in the House, the massive conservative agenda that we have all been hoping for could go through. The conservative agenda between the 67-member House and the 26-out-of-33 seat member Senate would be able to override any vetoes from the Democrat governor, uh, Mike DeWine. Yes, I know. Um, and we all know what happened there. 22 of the 67 decided they were going to partner with Democrats instead in the House, and that's exactly what they did. They swore their fealty to Alison Russo rather than to the constituents who put them in power with that massive Republican majority. So Tom Patton is one of the, quite frankly, he's one of the bad guys. He refuses to speak out. He refuses to do interviews with people like me. He refuses to answer the questions that so many have of him. Well, he's going to have to answer them tomorrow because tomorrow night, Tom Patton, one of the gang of 22, is going to be appearing before the um, uh, the uh, the uh, Central and Executive Committees. And on the table will be motions to censure him 
censure is different than censor, of course, censure him, uh, also to remove him from the Central Committee and to uh, uh, vote to uh, make sure that he gets no endorsements for his next run for office. So many people know and expect that he is going to run for the state Senate in 2024 and that the Republican Central Committee will not endorse him. So this is all going to be a part of the disciplinary hearing uh, and this meeting tomorrow. So Jack and I are going to talk about Tom Patton, uh, the Democrats he has supported in the past, the Democrats he's supporting now by being a part of the Gang of 22 that split that conservative majority, and uh, also why it is he is so easily, uh, easily moved by Democrats and by Democrat media. And I'll explain that. And if you don't know the story of the bike bike lanes in uh, Cleveland, well, then you're uh, you're not paying attention. So we'll tell you about that too. So there you have it. We got Jim Jordan. We got Jack Windsor coming up this morning on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Those are our two guests. Our most important guest, of course, remains you. And I welcome your calls at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Either one of those numbers gets you here. Now, before we start talking about the news of the day, let's go ahead and rise as the patriots that we are. Let's face a flag if you have one nearby. If you don't work on that, uh, put your hand on your heart and join us for our daily pledge of allegiance. If you are a believer in Joe Biden taking your retirement dollars and putting them at risk by telling investors they can invest in companies social just, whose social justice ideologies are more important than their profitability and their return on your investments, well, then you don't believe in what that flag represents anyway. You are a believer in tyranny, quite frankly. So you may uh, consider yourself exempt from the request to pledge your allegiance to that flag. Instead, take a knee where you're more comfortable next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You know, I've got so many uh, important stories, lead stories here to talk about today. I could have chosen any one of those to include in my uh, pre-pledge admonition of the left to not pledge their allegiance to it if they don't believe in it. I could have gone with what I did. I could have gone with, if you are a believer in the Washington State High School that fired Coach Joseph Kennedy for daring to pray with his team on the football field, uh, then you don't have to pledge your allegiance because you clearly don't understand. And by the way, the Supreme Court proved that Joe Kennedy got a $1.7 million settlement and his job back for being fired for daring to pray on the football field. Uh, I could have talked about the Missouri uh, Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, like a boss, issuing an emergency resolution because the Missouri legislature will not get out of their own way and do what needs to be done and pass the bill banning gender transition or sex change operations for minors. Since they won't get out of their own way, the AG has issued an emergency resolution and a regulation to limit trans surgeries for minors in that state, citing lack of evidence that procedures such as, quote, gender transition surgery and hormone therapy are safe and effective, because obviously they are not. That's a huge, huge win and a huge step in this obviously ongoing war 
over protecting our children. So we could have brought that one up. Uh, there are so many, obviously, we could have gone with Alvin Bragg. If you believe in the, perse- uh, the political persecution, masking as a prosecution for crimes that are virtually invisible, uh, like Alvin Bragg is, then you don't believe in that flag either. So I could have hit any one of those with our pledge story, but I went with the one that I did. Let's talk about some of the others. Um, Alvin Bragg is, is daring these, the uh, uh, Jim Jordan-led House Judiciary Committee to subpoena him. Jordan and his team have made it very, very clear that they want Alvin Bragg to testify. Jim Jordan, as along with James Comer, James Comer, of course, is the chair of the Oversight Committee, and the House Administration Committee Chairman Brian Steele all sent letters to Bragg two days ago saying, we want to talk to you. And we want you to bring not only yourself, but all documents and communications related to your investigation into Donald Trump in this unprecedented, let's clarify that, make sure we understand the word, never happened before, the potential indictment of a sitting or a former president. Never has happened before, much less for something as specious as this ridiculous uh, situation is. They are demanding that he come and uh, speak to them. Quote, you are reportedly about to engage in an unprecedented, there's that word again, unprecedented abuse of prosecutorial authority, the indictment of a former president and current declared candidate for that office. And by the way, that part is bigger, that part is more important than the former president status of Donald John Trump. The fact that he is a candidate for that office, the fact that he is a declared candidate who's headed into the primaries as the front runner, makes this attempted prosecution, this attempted indictment, and we don't know if it's going to actually happen at this point in time, but this uh, uh, attempted investigation of and in potential indictment of, of Donald Trump as being an attempt to harm politically the number one challenger for the presidency of the United States, the, the the leader of the opposition party. Everybody knows who Alvin Bragg is. Everybody knows Alvin Bragg is a Democrat. Everybody knows Alvin Bragg was propped up by the Democrat source of all evil funding, which, of course, is George Soros. Everybody knows how he got there. So he is a Democrat, and he is not trying to apply the law evenly to all New Yorkers when he says, you know, presidents or former presidents are not. Specifically in this case, he's trying to apply the law unevenly to harm the lead candidate in the opposing political party for president of the United States. Jordan's letter went on to say, if these reports are accurate, your actions will erode confidence in the even-handed application of justice and unalterably interfere in the course of the 2024 presidential election. In light of the serious consequences of your actions, we expect that you will testify about what plainly appears to be a politically motivated prosecutorial decision, end quote. He is, they are, of course, exactly correct. Bragg's ridiculous investigation over the alleged hush money payments, by the way, based on the testimony of a disgraced and imprisoned lawyer like Michael Cohen, um... It, 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 there is just no doubt. There's no doubt. I'm not breaking any new ground here when I tell you this is purely political persecution and not criminal prosecution. So we should we should make sure that that is very clear. But Bragg, so far, has been um, well. Let's just say less than cooperative. 
Alvin Bragg has declared that he's not going to uh, cooperate because he's got a job to do that he says is what he was elected as the attorney general or the uh, district attorney in uh, Manhattan to do. Quote, we will not be intimidated by attempts to undermine the justice process, nor will we let baseless accusations deter us from fairly applying the law. And I mean, it's hard to say that without laughing. Fairly applying the law? Fairly? Are you really saying that out loud? Or at least writing it? There is nothing fair about what you are doing when you are allowing actual criminals to run wild in the streets of Manhattan, victimizing innocent New Yorkers, and you won't apply the law. You won't apply the criminal statutes to actually arrest these people, prosecute these people, and lock these people up. Because you're more concerned with racial equity in the jails. Don't tell me you're into fairly applying the law. But you're going to target Donald Trump? He went on to say, in every prosecution, we follow the law without fear or favor to uncover the truth. Without fear or favor, he said that too. Our skilled, honest, and dedicated lawyers remain hard at work. Fine. Let them remain hard at work while you drag your sorry A from Manhattan to Washington, D.C., and you sit down before those Republican-led committees. You answer the questions about how fair and unbiased your application of the law is when it comes to the leader in the primary fight for presidency of the United States uh, of your opposition party. You go ahead and do that for us. You go ahead and tell us uh, uh, under oath exactly how fair that is. And, again, bring all documentation that you are using to present to that grand jury. This is incredible. So, uh, by the way, Congressman Jordan issued a pretty good tweet uh, for chastising, uh, uh, chastising the Democrats for criticizing the request to interview him. Quote, Democrats think it's okay for them to examine and defund local police, but it's not okay for Republicans to examine a local prosecutor in Manhattan abusing his power to take down a political opponent. And and that is exactly right. As I said, the biggest concern here as it pertains to this political persecution isn't the fact that Donald Trump is a past president, and more specifically the immediate past president, the recent, most recent former president. That is unprecedented, yes, as we discussed. But it's his status as a current candidate that makes this look and appear, and quite frankly is, um, politically motivated persecution rather than prosecution. So we've got a lot to hit on that. Uh, we'll take a time out now at 925. And by the way, speaking of hitting on Donald Trump, or hitting him, not on, but hitting him after three months plus of relentless attacks. And if you really want to go back to even November, uh, in in the last four or five months of relentless attacks and name-calling by former President Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has finally decided, okay, that's about enough. It's time to hit back. And hit back he did in an interview with Pierce Morgan. Pierce Morgan, uh, that's going to air on Fox Nation, I think, tomorrow. But we've got some clips. And Ron DeSantis has had just about enough of being Trump's whipping boy. And he is going to fight back. Does that mean he's entering the presidential race? Not yet, it doesn't. But he is clearly setting the table and saying he's not going to be abused like this any longer. So we're going to hit that, too. 216-901-0945 is the number to join us. 888-281-1110. It's always right. Radio on AM 1420, The Answer.
So as mentioned, uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who is perceived to be by many as the lead challenger against Donald Trump in a potential Republican primary, even though he has not yet declared his candidacy for the presidency, sat down with Piers Morgan uh, on Piers Morgan Uncensored, a part of Fox Nation, uh, and Piers tried to get him. Which is your favorite nickname that Trump's given you so far? Is it Ron Ronda Sanctimonious or Meatball Ron? <laughs> well, I can't. I think uh, even he went off Meatball Ron. I, but. I can't. Uh, I don't know how to spell the Sanctimonious. I don't really know what it means, but I, you know, I kind of like it's long. It's got a lot of vowels. I mean, so we go with that. That's fine. You know, you can call me. You can call me whatever you want. I mean, just as long as you, you know, also call me a winner, because that's what we've been able to do in Florida is put a lot of points on the board and and, and really take the state to the next level. Ron DeSantis firing back. That wasn't an example of it. This is responding to one of Trump's criticisms. But Ron DeSantis firing back and hitting Trump for his moral character and also declaring, I can beat Joe Biden. A clear inference that Donald Trump cannot. So we'll have that part of the conversation coming up, too. 216-901-0945. You want to get in on this? 888-281-1110. It's Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 936. Congressman Jim Jordan coming up in a half an hour at about 1010. We're looking forward to that conversation. You can uh, believe that. A lot lot of ground to cover there with him. By the way, in addition to Jordan, excuse me, uh, calling on Alvin Bragg, the uh, Manhattan DA who is politically persecu- persecuting Donald Trump, uh, to testify before his committee. James Comer, the chair of the House Oversight Committee, is doing the same thing. And here's what he said about that. Yeah, this is a political stunt. This is getting him all, to- all types of earned media uh, from the left. That will help him win a primary. Now, uh, the old mindset in New York was if you were a Democrat and you won the primary, then you were a shoe in But what we saw in the midterm elections is that voters turned their backs on the Democrat Party for one reason and one reason only, apparently. It was because of crime. And this is a DA uh, that represents one of the highest crime rates in America. And instead of prosecuting criminals, he's trying to prosecute a presidential candidate based on U.S. federal election laws, something he clearly does not have the authority to do. So this is just a publicity stunt by Mr. Bragg, but we're going to give him an opportunity to come before Congress to explain himself. Strong statement, by the way, very strong statement. It is indeed. He doesn't even have the authority to do this based on what he is trying to push through, the charges he's trying to bring uh, with the grand jury that he is, you know, and he's, he's likely to be successful. It's going to be a left-wing New York Manhattan grand jury, clearly. he's going, to, But he doesn't even have the right to try to bring charges like this because they're related to the federal election system. But, of course, that's not going to stop him. Ted Cruz, by the way, also speaking out on what we all know to be true. Yeah, listen, the long and short of it is this indictment, if it comes this week, is absolutely outrageous. It is frivolous. It is baseless. It is a political persecution. It is not a prosecution. It is targeting Donald Trump because Alvin Bragg is a left-wing Democrat who hates Donald Trump. And legally, this case is is absurd on its face. Now, it's all based on two New York statutes that concern business records, the kind of records you keep in your business. One makes it a misdemeanor 
to create a false or fraudulent business record. In this instance, what Bragg is trying to argue is that when Trump gave $130,000 to Michael Cohen, who allegedly paid it to Stormy Daniels as hush money, and he characterized that as legal fees, that that business record was false and bogus. Now, he's got a problem with that theory, which is under New York state law, that's only a misdemeanor. That has a two-year statute of limitations, so you can't even bring this claim now. Which is why, as we learned yesterday and Monday, what Bragg is attempting to do is to try to marry that to another charge that would then raise that charge to a felony. In other words, Alvin Bragg looks like he is trying to do legal gymnastics to do everything and anything that he can to try to indict Trump. Just because the appearance of an indictment, the appearance of some sort of illegality uh, might harm him and hurt his chances uh, to, as he runs for president. Of course, I think almost everybody has become has become uh, has agreed and become convinced that it's going to have a backfire effect. That what it's going to do is it's going to martyr President Trump and it's going to really rally people who are sick and tired of seeing the un. Uh, the illegal and and I'm trying to think another of another word to describe the persecution of this guy since the moment he came down the stairs, the golden escalator, uh, back in 2015. The nonstop persecution. People are sick and tired of it, and it's going to lead a lot more people who might not have been interested in supporting Donald Trump this time around into supporting him just to stick it in the face of the left wing people like Alvin Bragg and those masters that he responds to that he reports to. And I think that's the reality of the situation. This is an attempt to try to stop him from become president, becoming president, but it may indeed, according to many, uh, have the exact opposite effect. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We're going to go to uh, Cleveland, and first we'll talk to TJ on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, TJ, fire away. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, some of this stuff is like crazy. You know, I'm thinking, you know, the Secret Service is sworn to protect Trump, okay? Yeah. Now, let's just say he's got to go to court now. Are they going to have to go to court with them? If he was to get incarcerated, would they have to go to jail to protect them from other prisoners and, and possibly protect them from a Jeffrey Epstein episode? Well, that's, you know, first of all, um, yes, they would appear with him if he actually was in court. This would never get to a court, by the way. But he, they would appear because if he goes to dinner, I mean, Secret Service follows around former presidents and first ladies and so forth uh, forever, uh, no matter where they go. But, you know, the prison part is a little bit, you know, a little bit out there because he's not going to prison. Even in the... Uh, unlikely event they get an indictment and a conviction on something like this, as Ted Cruz described it, uh, fraudulent record keeping. Nobody has ever gone to prison for that. They don't want him in prison. They just don't want him to be, to be president. They don't want him to be able to run anymore. So if there is anything, there would be a fine, maybe a, a probation or a probation uh, period or something of that nature. Um, but no, he's not going to prison. So you don't have to worry about uh, protecting him there from <laughs> from guards or from from inmates or anything else. There's nothing in here uh, that would even suggest a prison sentence no i i know that's true the, the only thing i'm just trying to uh, show just how ridiculous this whole thing is 
It is I every mean, bit it, of that. It, it really is ridiculous. It, it is every bit of that. But yeah, if he had to end up, you know, going to court, yep, Secret Service would be there with him because, of course, like I said, they have to be. Anybody uh, in that position gets Secret Service no matter where they go. They go to dinner, they go to the golf course. He's got Secret Service with him at the golf course. You know, any, any place he goes, that would be the case. But obviously, prison is 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 uh, not something I would be too concerned about here. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate the call, TJ or not TJ. That is TJ. Derek in Richfield is next. Hi, Derek. Go ahead, sir. Hey, morning, Bob. Thank you. And uh, just want to say it was good to hear you one-on-one with Dr. G on Friday. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I really appreciated the invitation. Quite, uh, you know, it's interesting. I asked him ahead of time, you know, what are you going to ask me about? Because a lot of times guests that I have on my show want to know what's the topic. What are you going to ask about so they can prepare some answers? And uh, he wouldn't tell me. So you hit me with everything cold and said, I'm not going to tell you what I'm asking you. Uh, you just be ready for it. And I said, okay, let's see where this goes. So it was uh, all of that was off the cuff. So I hope it worked out all right. Very good. Um, so, you know, I've, uh, I think two main points about this whole uh, feud between uh, Governor DeSantis and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So first, you know, uh, it was such an outrage watching what the whole smear campaign against Justice Kavanaugh that, you know, it moved my parents who basically um, hadn't voted in years to get out and vote against the left because they could see through it. That it was so outrageous, the lies and the slander against that man and his, his family. And, you know, I have to say, to see what appeared, it, it seems like Donald Trump is now doing the same thing. You thought after all the slander and the libel against him and all these years, all the attacks, and it seems, I don't know, and I, as much of a defender and supporter of Donald Trump that I am, it seems to me that he's so threatened that he's just going on the attack against Governor DeSantis. And the whole thing, the feud, is it, it's sounding so stupid. I'm listening to people calling into various shows, and now all these people are demonizing Governor DeSantis. And I don't even get some of the things they're saying where this is even coming from. I mean, we saw all the good things he's been doing. Took away the tax exempt status of Disney for crying out loud. That's a major thing to do. So, And, and it just brings the point that the left, is a collective, as we know. They're a hive, a swarm of locusts that stick together. Even though I'm sure many of the Democrats on the left, I'm sure many of them dislike each other, but we don't see the infighting between them because they stick together to get their common agenda done. Infighting on our side like this is not helping us. It's not helping our side at all. And that, I don't know, that's what I'm seeing through all this. This is just getting crazy listening to this, this fight going on. Yeah, um... And up until yesterday and the interview with Piers Morgan, which doesn't even air until tomorrow, um, it was a one-sided fight. It was just nonstop attack, 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 attack by Trump against DeSantis. Um, and, and from what I, you know, I'm, I'm going to share some of this in a bit. Um, we, you know, obviously they haven't released all the audio. They want people to watch it on Fox Nation. Uh, so they're not giving us uh, all of the audio, but Piers Morgan wrote a, an article describing the entire interview that he did for the New York Post. And I'm looking at it right now. And there's a line here I'll share with you, which I think you'll, you'll appreciate based on what you just said. He appears uh, said to, uh, to DeSantis, quote, you made a fatal error in your relationship with Donald Trump. And DeSantis replied, what's that? And he said, you got too popular. And DeSantis laughed loudly, according to what Piers wrote. And I think that is exactly right. President Trump was a fan of Ron DeSantis when Ron DeSantis was just running for governor and is going to be a strong conservative in the state of Florida. But when it came time to, when it, when it came down to it and we realized how popular he got with this massive anti-woke campaign is taking on a Disney, his uh, response to the don't say gay bill nonsense, which of course is just protective of children. 
he got so popular, people said, you got to run for president. And Trump said, whoa, 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 that's my space. Don't you dare come into my space. So suddenly a guy that he liked and supported is desanctimonious. He's the enemy. He hates, uh, you know, he, he wants to end Medicare and Social Security and, and, and all of the other things. And yes, what really gets my goat, um, I don't like anybody Kavanaughing another Republican. And that's exactly what President Trump tried to do with this nonsense about uh, Ron DeSantis as a 23-year-old teacher posing at a grad party with a bunch of uh, 18-year-old high school grads, uh, you know, and suggesting he's trying to, quote, groom them. Um, you know, you, you do that to somebody, you, you Kavanaugh them like that. To me, uh, it says an awful lot about your character. And that bothers the hell out of me because President Trump saw it up close and personal when they did that to the original, which, as you pointed out, was Justice Kavanaugh. When they tried to do that to Trump's own nominee, it was so beyond the pale. It was so beyond political gamesmanship. It was so destructive of character. Um, and Trump saw it up close and saw what it did to uh, Justice Kavanaugh. And the idea that he would engage in something even remotely similar to a political opponent like DeSantis, to me, turns me off very much so. Right, and quick, I'll I'll, I'll just put um, I'll just add, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it also just seems if if someone truly loves the country and wants what's best for the country, you know, they would put their pride aside, and they would I don't know, again there wouldn't be the infighting they would it would work together. Come on, their policies are the same, and to go on the attack now, um, it again it, it's not helping, and. Again, I, you know, like Dennis Prager says, we need who's going to win. And, I mean, it's that simple. I know I know Donald Trump would do a great job again. I know that. Um, but, unfortunately, I think times – it's not 2016 and it's not 2020. It's not – you know, time, things do change. It's unfortunate. And, um, and, again, whether it's his fault or not, um, the left, they've unfortunately done such a good job of making him so polarizing – I, I don't know. I don't. It's not the same as 2016. I, I, I wish it. You know, I wish it wasn't that. But well, you know what's funny that. about it is the the story that I was just discussing before I started taking calls and talking to you. Uh, you know, is the Alvin Bragg thing. This thing in New York is literally going to flip that around. I think um, because I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people. <clears throat> who are put off by this, who are turned off by this. Uh, and you have to think about who can beat Biden. And, and it is a different game than it was in 2016 now. Uh, and while, while Trump beats DeSantis in most of the polls by pretty healthy margins for the primary, when you look at Trump v. Biden and DeSantis v. Biden, DeSantis fares much better against Biden in a general election than Trump does. So the question is, is as Republicans... Are Republican voters going to vote for who they want better or want more in the primary, which would indicate that it's Trump, or the guy who can beat Joe Biden to make sure that we don't have a repeat of 2020, a Trump primary victory, and then a defeat in the general election by hook or by crook, by theft or by legitimacy? That's the real question that Republicans are going to have to figure out here. All right. Anything else, Derek? Great, great call. Oh, I'm sorry. You have one more thing? Go ahead. Um, uh, shoot, <laughs> sorry. Um, That's right. no, I, I appreciate you know, I'll call back another time. Um, okay. but yeah, I do say, do thank you, but yeah, yeah, I just wish, um, that, that, that he should focus more on, yeah, his policies, what he's going to do. And, you know, I think that'll make people listen to him, be more open to him more. He had, we, we know he's successful. We know what a great job he can do. He needs to focus on that, uh, yeah, not fighting and even, 
and, and again, keep going. I, we, we know what happened in 2020, but it's, I know if it turns, turns other people off, I mean, he just needs to focus on yeah. getting the message of what's successful out there. No, I, I, I concur. And thanks for the call, Derek. I appreciate it. Let me say this, uh, just to kind of follow up on that, too. I think President Trump has a very, very clear and easy, easy path to victory over Ron DeSantis and over potentially even Joe Biden, if there was a rematch. And that would be to highlight his record as president. His four years as president were tremendously successful on so many fronts. We've listed them for the last two and a half years. Well, we listed them for the last three and a half years in the year, uh, you know, leading up to the election in 2020, <clears throat> the one that was stolen. And then in the two and a half years since Biden has been president, we've all talked about the difference between the way things are now and the way things were under President Trump. And it was so much better. If I'm Donald Trump and I want to win re-election and I want to win the primary and be the nominee again, I'm not attacking Ron DeSantis, an extremely popular and tremendously successful uber-conservative. All right, it is uh, 9.52. Just so you know, we uh, we didn't continue talking when the EAS hit, so I want to finish the thought that I was uh, giving you before that uh, that interruption. So uh, to my, my point is, if President Trump wants to not only win the nomination, but also win over other Republicans who don't support him now. What he should do, rather than attacking viciously with name-calling and, and, and allegations of grooming and all the other personal, you know, politics of personal destruction that he does, rather than doing that to a very popular, very successful conservative governor like Ron DeSantis, rather than attack DeSantis, ignore DeSantis and talk about your record. If Donald Trump campaigned for the next, you know, 18 months, or whatever it is, you know, talking about what the inflation rate was when he was president, what the gas prices were when he was president, what the number of border crosses was like when he was president, the unemployment rates when he was president. If he, if he highlighted all of his successes, the fact that foreign policy-wise, no one around the globe tried to do anything like what Putin is doing now when he was president, what Kim Jong-un is doing now when he was president. I mean, if he highlighted that incumbency record, I think he would probably have a cakewalk to this thing. But instead, he plays on the politics of personal destruction and violates Reagan's 11th commandment and continues to attack fellow Republicans. He doesn't need to. Point out policy differences between yourself and Ron DeSantis if you want. But the personal attacks make me sick. They make me sick to my stomach, and I do not like it. And I promise you, it will harm him more than it will help him. That doesn't mean he's going to lose, because I don't think he is. But I do think it's not going to help him to continue to attack somebody who has done what Ron DeSantis has done in Florida that we wish and hope he could do on the, on the national stage. So I don't understand it, but I do understand why Ron DeSantis waited and waited and waited. He was going to see if this ended and he was going to see if the personal destruction stopped, if the insults and the attacks on his character and his honesty, if those things were going to stop, he would have just said, let's talk policies when he makes his announcement for president. But now that Trump has said and indicated it's not going to stop, well, then game on. Let's talk about it then. Let's talk about his leadership style. Let's talk about his uh, the allegations of porn stars and this and the other thing. You want to play in this game, then we'll play in this game. I don't like it. I don't like it at all.
And I hope President Trump realizes that his true path to success and victory is highlighting his own successes rather than trying to personally destroy a good conservative governor like Ron DeSantis. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. But right now it's 9.55. We're going to take a time out. We're going to get a newscast. And then we're going to talk to the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee who wants to talk to Alvin Bragg, who wants to try to destroy Donald Trump's candidacy with a bull-blank, bogus... Uh, charge in Manhattan. So we'll have that conversation with Congressman Jordan coming up on AM 1420. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Good morning. Thanks for being here on a Wednesday. It is the 22nd morning of the month of March in the year of our Lord 2023. And coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking with Congressman Jim Jordan. As soon as we establish that connection, we will let you know. But I was going to give you a taste of this anyway with Jim Jordan on the line. Uh, but since he is not here with us just yet, we'll listen to it together. This is, um, I think, very, very well articulated, what is happening with respect to the persecution, not prosecution, but persecution of Donald J. Trump, the president, former president, rather, and the uh, leader in terms of polling anyway in a very, very thin field at the moment uh, for the Republican nomination in the presidential primaries. This is, a, this is a very, very well-stated piece. That's a concern for us. We want to know what kind of communications may have taken place between the Justice Department and... Because remember, the Justice Department didn't bring this case. They, they weren't going to do it. No right. one was going to do this until Mr. Bragg came along. Uh, that, to me, is, 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 a, is a real concern here. So, uh, And this is the same district attorney where there's now record crime in New York, where he downgrades oh, most know. felonies to misdemeanors. The felony cases he brings... Yeah, you're right there. The felony cases he brings... He loses half of them, and now he's going after the former president and a guy who's announced for president. And who's his star witness? Who's his key witness? Michael Cohen, a guy we all know has lied, who came in front of the Oversight Committee a few years ago and lied six times in front of Congress. That's their star witness for this case that no one else would bring. If this is not going after your political opponents and using the, the, the government to do so, I don't know what is. It is exactly that. And that's why so many Republicans, and quite frankly, it shouldn't just be Republicans, but we all know the, we all know the drill. We all know the reality of the situation. But that's why so many Republicans are speaking out on this as being politically motivated and not motivated to protect the people of uh, New York. The Manhattan DA should be prosecuting people that are threats to the safety of the people of Manhattan. That's what he should be doing. And instead, he's playing this political game. He is persecuting the front runner for the Republican nomination for the presidency of the United States, all for political reasons. It has nothing to do with his job as an actual prosecutor in New York. That's why, as you heard Jim Jordan tell Harris Faulkner, uh, that's exactly exactly why. Um, uh, the Justice Department did not push for this. This is not Justice Department related. This is Alvin Bragg. I'm sure not going it alone because he's got uh, uh, people pulling his puppet strings as well, but they have used him to try to take out the Republicans' number one uh, um, uh, 
candidate, if you will, in the race for the Republican nomination. And I'm told Jim Jordan is on the line now. So let's bring the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee back to our program. Congressman Jordan, good to have you, sir. How are you? I'm, I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you. Sorry, sorry I was running late there. Just just like a politician to be late. I apologize for that. But the uh, um, no, you're right. So I, I would just start with this, sort of the fundamental question. What's changed? I, 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 so I didn't catch what you may have said prior, but, um, you know, the the Department of Justice didn't take this case when the, when the Mueller investigation was coming on, uh, was, was, was happening. The Federal District of New York didn't take this, this case. And the previous district attorney, Cy Vance, didn't bring this case. And even the current district attorney in Manhattan, uh, Alvin Bragg, when he first gets elected, doesn't bring the case, says it's not, and then he has people uh, resign and write a book about it and all this. But the one thing that's changed since all four of those people, all four of those entities have said they weren't going to bring the case, including Alvin Bragg, what's changed? President Trump announced he was running for, for, uh, for, for the White House. And now all of a sudden, oh, Alvin Bragg's going to bring the case and uh, indict the, the, the former president. And the leading candidate, the guy who's ahead in all the polls, um, in, uh, for, for this, for this, uh, this election. So I think that's what's driving this. And I think the American people see it just like you do. You know, uh, Congressman, it's, um, it's, it's hard to see it any other way when you consider the history here, when you consider that the Russian collusion hoax and the Mueller investigation yep. was intended to remove him from office. Uh, the first impeachment was intended to remove him from office. The second impeachment was to, was to stop him from being eligible and able to run for office again. The January 6th committee uh, and commission, or whatever you want to call that, unselect committee, was intended to make sure he can never run again. The document yep. search at his home, the FBI raid, was intended to make sure he <laughs> yeah. can never run again. And yeah. now we have this. It could not be more clear here. This is not about protection. This is not about the rule of law. This is political persecution against a guy that they are terrified of. Yes, and add to that 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 great list you just put together. Add to the fact they went after his tax returns. They went after all his business records. They went after his children and their business dealings. And now this. So yeah, it has been nonstop for seven years because this guy actually came to this town did what he said he was going to do, and stood up for the American people against the bureaucracy, the swamp, whatever term you want to use, against the very agencies who've been, I think, in so many ways turned on the people they're supposed to serve. President Trump was fighting that and changing that, and that's why everyone's out to get him, most importantly, the left and the Democrats. And that's what this is about, and I think, again, everyone sees it. And then you add to it, it comes from a district attorney who's in now in a city with record levels of crime, who downgrades all felony cases, it seems like, or most of them, to misdemeanors. The felony cases he brings, he loses half of them, and he's basing his case, if you can believe news reports, his case is based on, the, the, the who's his star witness? Michael Cohen, a guy who went to prison for lying, and a guy who came in front of all, the House Oversight Committee four years ago and lied six times during a hearing in front of the House Oversight Committee. That's their star witness. So, um, again, it, it is... It, the country, I think, seizes this all for what it is, but they want they want the picture of President Trump. They want him being indicted. They want to use that in campaign. They think that's going to help. Yeah, and, you know, that star witness, by the way, was completely discredited yesterday by Robert Costello's testimony, yeah, according to exactly what Costello right. has said. And so, you know, any... any 
I would say any reasonable grand jury would would certainly no bill this and not bring forward forth an indictment here. But um, you know, this is going to be a left wing Alvin Bragg grand jury, and of course, for those who don't know how the grand jury process works, uh, uh, the prosecutor basically determines what is. Uh, pushed upon and impressed upon the grand jury to tell them whether or not they want him or excuse me he wants them to come back with an indictment or not so uh if he wants one he'll get one um i want to read uh briefly from your letter to alvin bragg you are reportedly about to engage in an unprecedented abuse of prosecutorial authority the indictment of a former president of the united states and current declared candidate for that office the indictment comes after years of your office searching for a basis, any basis of which to bring charges. You then say, in light of the serious consequences of your actions, we expect you will testify about what plainly appears to be a politically motivated prosecutorial decision. Now, that was sent by you, as well as James Comer, as well as uh, Brian Steele, if I'm saying that correctly, from Wisconsin, uh, three other, uh, two other chairmen and yourself. Um, do you expect he will uh, come forward and testify? And if not, are you prepared to subpoena him? Well, we'll see what we we put in the letter. I believe uh, tomorrow we'll see if he gets back with us. If he does what he says, but uh, we 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 keep all the options on the table because we do think this is driven by politics. We do think it's likely federal funds were uh, were we we know all these DTAs get all kinds of grant money from the from the federal government. Federal funds were there. We do think there's a concern about this impacting the federal election. For goodness sakes, you're getting ready to indict a former president who's the, the, the declared for the presidency already announced his candidacy and he's leading in all the polls. Uh, we think that's that's real election interference concerns there. That's why Brian Stile, the chairman of the House Administration Committee. Uh, signed on to the letter because he's concerned about that. And Mr. Comer has broadest jurisdiction of any chairman in Congress to do to do oversight. And then from our perspective, it's the federal funds issue and also this idea that this could have grown out of, likely grew out of, the, the, the Mueller special counsel investigation where they chose not to bring the case at the federal level. Um, and so that, that, that impacts, I think, uh, uh, us in, in, you know, how we may need to restructure the um, uh, special counsel uh, counsel statute. So I think all those reasons give us the, the federal nexus and federal connection that is is, is important here. And, and 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 just the fundamental fact that this is a pretty darn unique case. For goodness sake, you're talking about a former president and a declared candidate for uh, the 2024 presidential race. So for all those reasons, we sent a letter, and we'll see what Mr. Bragg says. Uh, if he gets back with us tomorrow. Well, what he has said publicly through a statement, I guess, is this. We will not be intimidated by attempts to undermine the justice process, nor will we let baseless accusations deter us from fairly applying the law. In every prosecution, we follow the law without fear or favor. <laughs> it's hard to say that without chuckling. Without fear or favor to uncover the truth, our skilled, honest, and dedicated lawyers remain hard at work. Okay, that came actually from the Bragg spokesperson uh, of that office. Uh, any Any thoughts on that? Well, he, he, he talked about this when he was campaigning. You can't do that. Prosecutor, you can't talk about what you're going to do, who you're going to go after. That is not how it works when you're running for the, for the job. And for the Democrats to say the things they've said, like, oh, this is interfering. These are the same people who, who try to tell uh, every local law enforcement, every, every uh, um, uh, uh, city police department how they have to operate. I, I remember when uh, the, the former chairman of the House Financial Services Committee, the now ranking member of the House Financial Services, stood outside the courtroom while the jury was deliberating, telling the, the crowd there, you keep protesting if, you don't get, if we don't get the right decision, while the jury's deliberating. For goodness sake, that is trying to impact a decision. What we're trying to do is say, 
Did you use federal funds? What is going on here? We think this looks like election interference. This has never happened in the history of our great country, and we're not allowed to to, to raise concerns about that. Uh, again, I think the country has common sense, and they see this all for what it really is. Congressman Jordan, let's move on to another very important issue. Since we were talking about the Justice Department, let's talk about the Attorney General. Uh, I want to talk about this uh, Weaponization Committee report, a damning mm-hmm. report on the Attorney General Merrick Garland and what is being described as his extreme anti-parent school board memo and the anti-parent agenda, quite frankly. Can you tell us what this, uh, what this report says? Well, uh, remember... Um Oh, largely what this says is this was a completely manufactured issue. You have, you have Democrat U.S. attorneys around the country saying this is manufactured. This was poorly received by local law enforcement. Why are we doing this? This makes no sense. And th- 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 this, this idea that in spite of all that, 25, 25 parents were investigated. They said, okay, we'll investigate these 20. They opened investigations, only opened one full investigation, and no one's been charged with anything. So this big hullabaloo about, oh, there's, there's all these threats going on that the Democrats said, not true. Then, then this idea that was, oh, the Democrats told us that, you know what, the School Boards Association and the Biden White House, they, they weren't coordinating before they, the, the initial letter was sent. Yes, they were. We, have, we, we showed that in the, uh, in, in the report. And then maybe the most scary thing about this whole thing was the Democrats said there's no way domestic terrorism uh, efforts are going to be used against parents. They, in fact, were in the uh, northern district of, of, of Georgia. The U.S. Attorney's Office there put a, a, a counterterrorism type investigation on this uh, on this one parent. So, um, again, it was largely manufactured, done, we believe, for political reasons. Twenty five uh, parents were uh, there was an assessment open up on only one full investigation. And as I said, no one's ever been charged, which, again, I think underscores that this was political from the get go. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's so dangerous. I I almost wonder which of these is the most dangerous development here. The uh the obvious political persecution masquerading as a prosecution of a former president and current presidential candidate or an attack on every parent in the United States of America. Uh you know, by the Justice Department looking to try to silence them and to uh, quash their rights uh so that they can advance their agenda without any obstruction whatsoever. It's really a it, it's really a dangerous time right now. I don't mean to be melodramatic here but i mean we're, we're attacking the people the people's potential uh, candidates for office everything that we can do through the legal system you talk about weaponization and i'm so glad you created the weaponization subcommittee alvin bragg bragg has weaponized his office to the tune of making this look like a banana republic and obviously the uh, attorney general has weaponized the department of justice to hammer political enemies or people with different ideologies well, remember, in the larger context, we now know the FBI and the Richmond Field Office said if you're a traditional Catholic, you're a domestic extremist. We know that they've, they've targeted pro-lifers based on the testimony of a whistleblower who came in and sat for a transcribed interview. And we know what they did with, with parents here that we've outlined in this interim uh, report that we put out last night. So um, that's pretty frightening stuff. And then when you think just about the school board issue, they created the predicate. They created the false predicate by getting together before the National School Board Association sends the letter on September 29th, 2021, to the, to the Biden White House. Before that happened, the School Board Association was meeting with the Biden White House, meeting with the Department of Education and the Biden administration, and meeting with the Biden Department of Justice. 
to put this letter together, basically getting it all, getting everything lined up, and then they send the letter, and of course, five days later, Mayor Garland puts in place this apparatus, this process of reporting parents around the country in a, for a federal concern that resulted in 25 cases being opened, but no one being charged because as the U.S. attorneys, again, Democrat U.S. attorneys around the country said, this was a completely manufactured issue. Well, Congressman Jordan, uh, we're talking to Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Um, let's talk about crimes that are not manufactured. Let's talk about crimes that appear to be very, very legitimate. It appears that the list of Biden family members that did not get rich off of China is uh, is is shorter than the <laughs> list of those that did, uh, uh, yeah. because we're finding out more and more and more that it would appear, at least according to, you know, or, or rather from an outsider's perspective, it would appear that the... Oval Office, the Barack Obama presidency was for sale, at least access to it by way of Vice President Joe Biden um, in a number of ways. Uh, we thought this was all just Hunter uh, getting enriched by this, but it's uh, it's a lot deeper than that. Um, and, and quite literally, when you're the vice president of the United States and your family is all making uh, millions of dollars from a from a foreign adversary, and we'll call that call them that rather than an enemy at this particular point in time, it it just cannot help us but wonder, uh, you know, uh, what were you getting in return? What were they getting in return? What exactly no. uh, was China looking for in exchange for all of this money that went to the Bidens? That's the fundamental question. What did the Bidens do for the money? What service did they provide? What expertise did they give? What work did they do? No one seems to be able to figure out what that is. Like, if they were opening up an investment fund, did they invest the money? What was the return? How much? We don't. We don't seem to know that. What? What were? What this three million dollar payment that uh, Chairman Comer and the committee of, of, uh, of talked about? Mm-hmm. What was that three million dollars for? Sent to this Robertson Walker, and then he he divvies it out to to various members of the Biden family. What did they all do? So, you know, normally if you do work, if you get paid, it's because you did some work. You did, so there was some service, some expertise, some work that was provided, some, something of value provided. What was that? I, no one seems to know, and that seems to me to be the fundamental question. Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, when, when you don't know, you kind of know. As I said, it's yep. ac- it was yep. access access to the vice president's office at the very least and p- probably uh, beyond that. There is there is no question about it that that money isn't given for nothing. They don't just give money away. Communists don't like to part with the money that en- enriches them. Uh, last question for you. Corinne Jean-Pierre, um, the White House press secretary, spoke about the Freedom Caucus-approved budget plan uh, that is, of course, in response to President Biden's budget, and she claimed, and I just want to get your response to this, that the the quote MAGA budget proposal, otherwise known as the Freedom Caucus proposal, would endanger public safety because it makes our border less secure and it defunds police. <laughs> now I, you're doing what I did when I heard her say that, which I say most of the time, or which I do most of the time. I hear her. I laughed as well, but I want to give you a yeah. chance to to respond to it. I, I mean, the best response is probably to laugh. Like, I don't know that very many people take what Corinne Jean-Pierre says very, very seriously. She's, uh, it's just not true. I mean, this is the this is the administration that has given us over five million illegal migrants crossing our border in 26 months, and they and that is that happened because they intentionally changed policies and created a situation where that was the obvious result. That was what was obviously going to happen. Um, but, and sir, so the border them, is secure. It, Alejandro Mayorkas no. says so. Just let's be yeah. clear here. But if you saw, the, you saw the Border Patrol agent, the head of Border Patrol, who testified a week ago, who said, when asked that fundamental question, said, no, it is not. I mean, the guy on the ground, 
disagrees 180, 100 percent disagreement from where uh, from where the secretary has said what the secretary said about the border. So we all know that's not true. And, and more importantly, I think more and more Americans are feeling it in a real way when you see the cost now when this many individuals come to our country, the cost to education systems, health care systems, and the fentanyl crisis that is impacting so many communities. The, I think the country understands that and is, is getting a greater understanding of that here um, over the last several months. So. No one so, believes what. So speci- specifically, if you can, um, and I, I don't expect to have all the numbers in front of you, but but how does the budget proposal put forth by the Freedom Caucus and the Republicans? How does that address the border? What does it do to help solve? Well, it? What, what, in, a, in a in a in a broad context, is like we don't want to spend as much money for the federal government. After all, it's increased by a couple trillion dollars in just the last two years. So at some point, when you have a thirty-some trillion dollar uh, debt. When you're getting ready to uh, to a, a debt ceiling uh, is coming up, and you're going to have to authorize more money, more more authority to borrow more money. Uh, when, with that all facing us, maybe we need to tighten the belt a little bit. After all, every single family has, because of the, the ridiculous 41-year high inflation rate that Joe Biden's crazy policies have given us. So that's what the budget is talking about. Is we're going to have to cut back. It, we we would like to go back, frankly, to pre-COVID spending. And you, you, guess what? If you go back to before all the increase in money uh, the spending took off with, uh, with, with COVID, if you go back to that level, the, the tax revenue coming in, which is amazing with the American economy, in spite of everything Biden's done, revenues are still uh, higher than they were a few years ago. Revenues are coming in. So the revenue that we take in now would, would cover what we were spending just a few years ago. You'd almost have a balanced budget. So that's kind of the, the approach we think makes sense when you're looking at the debt situation that we, uh, that we now face as a country. Congressman Jim Jordan, Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, your plate is full. I thank you for making the time for us today. You bet. Uh, best of luck to you in getting answers from Alvin Bragg. We deserve it. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, Bob. Take care. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1030. We'll get a news break and come back on Always Right Radio. Sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. Onward, it is 1036, always right radio on AM 1420, the answer. Jack Windsor joins me in a half an hour. We're going to tell the truth about one of the members of the 22, the gang of 22 that has destroyed uh, the hopes that we had of advancing a purely conservative agenda through the supermajorities that we elected in the uh, Ohio General Assembly. We elected those supermajorities because we wanted supermajority conservative agenda items to go through. And all of that was undone by some greedy, unprincipled, and dare I say corrupt individuals known as the 22, the gang of 22, that uh, decided to go back on their word, break their promise and their vow with the caucus, to unanimously support the winner of the caucus vote back in November that was Derek Marin. And um, if they had done so, the Democrats would not have been able to do a single thing to stop any of the conservative agenda items that would be already in the pipeline or those that were coming. And instead, the gang of 22 
decided to split that 67-member majority. They tried to get as many as they could to go and partner with Democrats to give the Democrats a seat at the table. And now they have a bigger seat at the table than the actual supermajority would have been. Because now they've got 32 Democrats, and they've got 22 Republicans who are trans-Democrats. They're trans-Dems. That's right. They identify as Dems, so we'll call them trans-Dems. So now they've got an actual majority of the gang of 22 with the 32 Democrats, more than the 45 that actually kept their oath to support uh, Derek Maron as the speaker. So this is where we sit. One of those, and one of the worst offenders in my view, is Tom Patton. And Tom Patton is is, uh, supposed to appear tomorrow night before the executive committee and the uh, disciplinary committee, if you will, And he is going to have to explain himself before they vote on whether or not to censure him to uh, end any chance of him getting an an endorsement in future elections as a Republican, including the one he's probably going to run for next year to the Ohio Senate, and also to remove him from the Central Committee altogether. Uh, Tom Patton is, uh, is in some trouble, and it's all of his own making. We're going to talk about it with Jack Windsor coming up at 11.10 today. I think it's an important conversation you're not going to want to miss. The disciplinary committee is very, very, uh, is very, very strong on this issue. I've talked to certain members of it, and I can tell you that they are not taking this lightly. Uh, the discipline of members of the committee, or excuse me, uh, of the uh, Central Committee and members of the uh, 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 General Assembly the discipline of them for violating their own oaths and the rules uh, and the uh, precepts of the uh, of the Central Committee, they're strong. They're very strong, and they're going to take this very, very seriously. So we'll talk about that with Jack Windsor. If you missed the conversation I just had with Jim Jordan, you're going to want to hear that, too. You can hear it later on today, about 1 o'clock or so. Uh, usually about an hour after the show ends, you'll be able to hear the uh, podcast. Anything you may have missed on the podcast, go to uh, whkradio.com, whkradio.com. So um, Ron DeSantis is finally pushing back. He's had enough. He he waited and waited and waited for Donald Trump to start just talking about policies as he runs for re-election. Or not, is, can we call it re-election? I guess it's re-election, but one term apart. But as he runs for the uh, Republican primary nomination, Ron DeSantis just kept waiting, waiting it out, waiting it out, waiting it out. And all of the insults and all of the slander and all of the slurs and all of the dishonest remarks about Ron DeSantis, he was letting go uh, until yesterday when he finally sat down with Piers Morgan and, uh, and responded. Uh, Piers Morgan said, we need to address these things. Uh, you're not in the race for president, but it looks like you're headed in that direction. So let's talk about uh, the person who is attacking you, and let's talk about the person who is attacking the country right now, which is Joe Biden. And Ron DeSantis sat down for that. Uh, I want to share a little bit of it with you. I don't have the audio of much of it because... Obviously, this hasn't aired yet. It's going to air on Fox Nation tomorrow, and that's for Fox Nation subscribers. So they're not just going to give the whole uh, audio interview away. Uh, We do have one short clip that I could share with you. I played it a little bit earlier on. Piers Morgan asking uh, Ron DeSantis which of the uh, nicknames Trump has given him thus far is his favorite. And uh, this is what we have there. 
Is um, your favourite nickname that Trump's given you so far? Is it Ron, Ron the Sanctimonious or Meatball Ron? <laughs> well, I can't... Uh, I think even he went off Meatball Ron. I, I can't... Uh, I don't know how to spell the Sanctimonious. <laughs> I don't really know what it means, but I, you know, I kind of like it's long. It's got a lot of vowels. I mean, so we go with that. That's fine. You know, you can, call me, you can call me whatever you want. I mean, just as long as you, you know, also call me a winner. So that is what uh, that is how Ron DeSantis responded. That's the only real clip that we have of him right now. But what we do have is Piers Morgan, who did the interview with DeSantis last night, wrote an article for the New York Post describing it, perhaps obviously just to drive more viewership to the Fox Nation actual interview. And it's going to work for a lot of people. I know it's going to work for me. I'm going to watch it. Uh, but he described a little bit, and I want to share a little bit of it with you, and I want to get your reaction to it. We all know. I mean, let's let's stipulate before we get into this. <clears throat> that we are all on the same side as it pertains to the extraordinarily disgraceful political persecution of Donald Trump by the left, this time by Alvin Bragg and those who are supporting him, the George Soros DA in Manhattan, for this ridiculous uh, uh, you know, potential indictment and arrest. We all support Donald Trump in that regard. Uh, because this is an attack not just on Donald Trump, but it's an attack, quite frankly, on the country. And it's an attack on you know, 75 million Trump voters. The idea that they would use their office in such a political way, um, this is, you know, I think Bernie Moreno told us on Monday, this is Banana Republic stuff, and he saw Banana Republic's firsthand up close and personal uh, when he was uh, brought up in South America. But um, while we all agree that what is happening to Donald Trump needs to stop happening right now, that list I ran through of the ways they have tried to harm him and get rid of him since he came down and announced for president uh, back in 2015, the summer of 2015, we ran through the litany of things they have done, lawful and unlawful, to try to remove him and to prevent him from ever being in office again. We are all united in opposition to that trash that that absolute attack on our country and our and our and our country's character uh it's simply reprehensible having said that president trump is also engaged now in this primary battle before even one of the primary opponents is even declared he has been attacking ron DeSantis for the better part of the last four months he has attacked him in some very very vile ways quite frankly including reposting pictures of him posing at a high school graduation party from uh, 20, 20 some years ago when Ron DeSantis was a teacher at a high school and he posed at a graduation party with some girls, 18 year old senior graduates uh, who uh, he was around 23, they were 18 and he posed for a picture with them and President Trump reposted it uh, along with a message of grooming Ron DeSantis question mark, that's a paraphrase like no way, as if to suggest somehow something untoward was happening there um, it's it's previous caller brought it up. It's it's indefensible. It just is. After what happened to Brett Kavanaugh when they accused him of being a twenty something year old, or even a college yeah, I was a college student uh, and in, engaging in uh, getting underage girls drunk and then raping them and all of the stuff that Kavanaugh had to endure during his confirmation hearings. This is just indefensible, and I don't care. I don't care who you support. That cannot be supported. Period. So that was just one example of what, what uh, Trump has been doing to DeSantis for the last four months. And now DeSantis, who had been quiet, has finally started to speak out. So quoting from Piers Morgan's article in the New York Post about his interview with DeSantis, um, 
Trump went nuts after DeSantis took a shot at him over his anticipated indictment and alleged payoffs to uh, ex-lover Stormy Daniels, saying, quote, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. And DeSantis did say that in his response, which was overwhelmingly anti-Alvin Bragg and anti-the weaponization of law offices and uh, uh, DA's offices against political opponents. But he did say that, and then Trump went back and reposted the picture of uh, of Ron DeSantis with uh, some of his high school students that uh, graduated uh, under uh, uh, when he was a teacher there. So President Trump uh, reposted that and said, Ron DeSantis will probably find out about false accusations and fake stories sometime in the future as he gets older, wiser, and better known when he's unfairly and illegally attacked by a woman, even classmates that are underage or possibly a man. I don't get that part. I'm sure he will want to fight these misfits just like I do. Morgan writes, Trump's mood is likely to deteriorate even further when he hears what DeSantis says about him in our lengthy interview at the governor's mansion in Tallahassee. It was clear that the governors had enough. Felt ready to take him on in what could end up being a ferocious battle for the White House. When I asked DeSantis to cite specific differences between him and Trump, he said, well, I think there's a few things. The approach to COVID was different. I would have fired somebody like Fauci. I think he got way too big for his britches, and I think he did a lot of damage, end quote. Uh, I'm going to agree with that one wholeheartedly. President Trump absolutely should have fired Anthony Fauci uh, on the spot for all of his contradictory responses. And by the way, COVID is going to be a soft spot that opponents of Trump in the primary and in a potential general should he win the nomination, as he is expected to do. His COVID decisions at the time seemed reasonable, getting Operation Warp Speed to produce what people had hoped would be a successful vaccine against COVID. At the time, we cheered and supported the effort and the the remarkable turnaround in nine months' time to create that. In the three years since or two and a half years since, much, much more is known. And many people who supported the vaxes at the time or the shots at the time have come out and said, what a horrible disaster this was. They are not safe. They are not effective. They are hurting people. They are potentially killing scores of people. President Trump continues to say that the vaccines are good and are safe. He continues to defend his uh, role in that whole thing. That could be a vulnerable point. So DeSantis hit on that. He then hit on, as Piers Morgan describes it, Trump's chaotic, self-obsessed, divisive management style. This is Ron DeSantis quoting from Piers Morgan. Uh, I also think that just in terms of my approach to leadership, I get personnel in the government who have the agenda of the people and share our agenda. You bring your own agenda and you're gone. We're just not going to have that. So the way we run the government, I think, is no daily drama. Focus on the big pic- picture and put points on the board. And I think that's something that's very important. So the slam there against Trump from DeSantis is no daily drama. Because with President Trump, there has been daily drama. Drama, Most of it, most of it from his opponents, most of it from anti-American Marxist trashy Democrats in the media and in, a, in political office. Most of the drama is not brought on by President Trump at all. Some of it, however, is, which is what DeSantis was saying is the difference between us. As for the rude nicknames, well, I played that clip for you there. I'll skip over this in Piers Morgan's article for the New York Post. 
Until now, Morgan writes, DeSantis has never engaged with any of Trump's regular attempts to provoke him, and he doesn't intend to make a habit of it. Quote, to me, it's just background noise, he said. But he did go on to say, quote, it's not important for me to be fighting with people on social media. It's not accomplishing anything for the people I represent. So we really just focus on knocking out victories day after day. And if I got involved in all the undertow, I would not be able to be an effective governor. So I don't think it's something that makes sense for me. Which is probably a wise move. Probably a wise move to stay above the fray, at least until he's in the fray. He's not even a declared candidate. So that's his view about why he isn't engaging in a back and forth with President Trump every time there's an insult or a slam. He then spoke, according to Piers Morgan, about their previous relationship and their previous friendship that would be between DeSantis and President Trump. Quote, we had a good relationship. And I think when he's talking about back when he was a congressman. And I think one of the reasons he got to know me is because I saw the Russia collusion thing as a farce from the beginning. Very few people said that. We had a handful of us in Congress that were fighting back against that. So I would go on TV and I would defend him when it wasn't popular and it was kind of politically risky. But I just thought it was the right thing to do. And then I thought he had a, he had good ideas for the country. And then when I became governor, his last two years as president, we worked very well together. He had a place in Florida and worked well with us to serve our state. And that's a wonderful statement by Ron DeSantis. And then Piers Morgan gooses the situation and said, you made a fatal error in your relationship with Donald Trump. What's that? DeSantis asked. You got too popular. And DeSantis laughed loudly. And that, my friends, I think is a huge, huge part of all of this. For some, some people have said that the dream ticket for the Republican Party would be a Trump-DeSantis ticket. Trump-DeSantis would, would, would win going away. That would be a phenomenal force. And I have always said in response to that, never in a million years. And do you want to know why? Piers Morgan is right. DeSantis got too popular. President Trump would never share a ticket with somebody who takes any of his spotlight away. President Trump is the man, and he wants everybody to know he's the man, and he doesn't want anybody focusing on number two. He wants milk toast vanilla number two, like Mike Pence was. Obviously, Pence's end here is notwithstanding, but he wants somebody who is not going to take any of the star power away uh, from the guy at the top. And DeSantis is, is, is extremely popular. DeSantis said, well, I would say if you look at some of the some of the change from that, the major thing that's happened that's changed his tune was my re-election victory. It was mainly because uh, because while most of Trump's big endorsements did badly in the midterms, this is Piers Morgan's writing, by the way. I don't think that's fair to characterize Trump's big endorsements doing badly. Some of them did poorly. Some of them were very successful, including his endorsement of J.D. Vance right here in our state. I think it's unfair. But that's what Morgan wrote. And then he said his previous uh, pet student was by far the biggest Republican winner, landing a massive now uh, new majority by more than 1.5 million votes and a stunning validation of his leadership by Florida voters. DeSantis then said, quote, if you're Trump desperately trying to get back to the White House, this was, no, I'm sorry, this is Piers Morgan saying this to DeSantis. If you're Trump desperately trying to get back to the White House, this was a nightmare. DeSantis replied, my view, though, is that we should want the country to do well. I want other Republicans to do well. I want them to eclipse me. We're setting a great standard in Florida and everyone having everyone up their game, end quote. And I love that response. I want other Republicans to eclipse me. 
be better than me, do better than me, be more successful than me, because that is the way that we make the country successful. That is a very, very great statement, and I think it does stand in contrast with President Trump, who wants to be number one with a bullet. He wants everybody to look to him as the standard. He doesn't want anyone to eclipse him. Uh, and when I followed up, says Piers Morgan, by asking if personal conduct is in a leader matters, uh, he contrasted Trump to past presidents with a high moral code, saying, quote, at the end of the day, as a leader, you really want to look to people like our founding fathers, like what type of character. It's not saying, like, you don't ever make a mistake in your personal life, but I think what type of character are you bringing? So somebody who really set the standard is George Washington, because he always put the republic over his own personal interest. When we won the American Revolution, Washington surrendered his sword. King George III said he's the greatest man in the world if he gives up power. I think the person is more about how you handle your public duties and the kind of character you bring to that endeavor, end quote. And some in the, what, less than 24 hours since this article was actually posted at the New York Post website, some say that was a shot at Trump saying uh, Trump is not a leader like George Washington and that he, DeSantis, is. And that's probably a pretty accurate assessment. It's pretty much a shot at him, which, again, uh, would be only the first or second shot taken back after four months of uh, enduring attacks by President Trump. And finally, we'll end here. Truth is essential. Uh, Piers asked uh, DeSantis how important truth is to him in a world where leaders like President Trump and recently ousted U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson have played so footloose with facts. Again, Pierce Morgan's words. DeSantis said, I think there's been a departure from the truth being an important factor of leadership, 100%. Truth is essential. We have to agree that there's a certain reality to the world we live in, and if we can just create our own facts, then we're never going to be able to agree on anything or never really be, never really be able to do policy in a way that makes sense. And so, yes, it's not your truth or my truth. It's the truth. And we'll leave it there because I think that's extremely important. This was the first hit back... Uh, again, of the quote-unquote unofficial primary cycle. Because for four months, President Trump has been hitting Ron DeSantis. DeSantis has stayed silent. Now he has broken his silence. And what does it mean going forward? That's up for you to decide. It's up for me to decide. It's up for the people to evaluate that in whatever way they see fit. But that is what we have. We'll take a time out now. Top of the hour is coming. we got a newscast. We've got Jack Windsor coming. We're going to talk about the potential censure and the discipline and the ouster of Tom Patton, Ohio House Representative, from the State Central Committee for being part of the Gang of 22, for abrogating his oath, violating the rules and the bylaws of the committee in uh, splitting the Republican majority right down the middle and partnering with Democrats. So that conversation with Jack is coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420 DS. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools.
and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Fratt on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Good Wednesday to you. If you missed the interview with Jim Jordan, don't forget you can catch it at whkradio.com about an hour after the show. Just go to the podcast page, look for me, look for the hour, and you'll find it. Uh, it's the 22nd morning of the third month, year of our Lord, 2023. Tomorrow, there's going to be an executive uh, meeting uh, of the State Central Committee and the regular Central Committee meeting, and they're going to consider the disciplinary committee's recommendations about uh, censuring or otherwise punishing disciplining um, state representative Tom Patton for his blatant uh, usurping of uh, the caucus rules, his ignoring of his own oath and his own promise uh, to vote for the winner of the caucus back in November. He was a part of the Gang of 22 that has split the Ohio House uh, right on the Republican side, right down the middle. Well, not quite the middle. It's 45 to 22. But when you add 32 Democrats who now support and side with the 22 um, uh, Republicans who split from the supermajority, you actually have a majority on the other side now. So uh, the disciplinary committee has heard a lot of the arguments, a lot of the complaints about what Tom Patton did by violating his oath to vote for Derek Maron as speaker. And Tom Patton has been silent thus far. He has not responded. Well, he did in letter form, but he refused to attend the disciplinary committee hearing so that he could actually state his case in person. Um, the disciplinary committee responded with their uh, uh, their considerations, if you will, and they have indeed adopted a resolution on uh, a discipline for Tom Patton. It would include censuring him, which would mean that he would not be eligible for funds and he would not be eligible for an endorsement if he decides to run for office again, which almost everyone agrees that he will run for the United, or excuse me, for the Ohio State Senate in 2024. It would also boot him from the Central Committee altogether. So this is uh, just a continuation of the circus sideshow that was created when uh, Patton and 21 others decided to support Jason Stevens for speaker in violation of the um, promise and the agreement made by the Republican caucus back in November to support Derek Maron as speaker. And joining us now to try to make some sense out of all of this, and it's not easy, that's why we turn to the best, is our good friend Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor is the... um, is the founder and the editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. He is also uh, my podcast partner when we do our Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack, and he has brought his fan base with him. You guys got a following. What can I tell you? Jack Windsor joins us now on 1420 The Answer. How you doing, Jack? Hey, Bob. Super fantastic. Great to be with you and the listeners this morning. Thanks for choosing me. So I would choose nobody else. First of all, we do this every Wednesday anyway, uh, but I would certainly have chosen nobody else to talk about this very important situation. So tomorrow night they're going to have the committee hearings, or meetings, I should say, and Tom Patton is going to appear before these committees for the very first time since all of this went down. 
I've tried to give as much background as I can on what the discipline com- disciplinary committee has uh, said about Tom Patton, about what the potential punitive actions tomorrow are. I've talked a little bit about his defense. He claims that there was no unanimity rule that required everybody to vote for the speaker who won the caucus vote. So I'm going to ask you to fill in all of the blanks for us. Tell us what we're missing and tell us what you expect tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, there's quite a bit. So I'll start down the list here, uh, down the punch list, and you stop me when you need to. But, uh, you know, this all came about uh, the last time the uh, RPCC, Republican Party, of Cuyahoga County met. Uh, they were looking at censuring Tom Patton, and I believe it was member Ralph King referred the matter to the disciplinary committee, and he was citing bylaws and Robert's rules and best practices. And as you just hit, I think it's important to reiterate, possible recommendations from the committee include kicking Patton off the Central Committee and Executive Committee for the remainder of this election cycle and barring him from receiving a party endorsement this cycle. Now, that matters, as you said, because the scuttlebutt is that after he turns out of the House, which is this term, he's going to run for Senate. Well, if he's not able to receive an endorsement, then he doesn't get some of those perks in the primary, meaning the financial perks, marketing help. That all disappears, which would make his run that much more difficult. Now, I've talked with members of the RPCC, and they cite Patton's flip-flop on the speaker vote, which we've talked at, talked ad nauseum about, Bob, uh, choosing Stevens over Marin. Um, and a lot of people would argue the point that there was no vote of acclamation. Uh, I have dozens of people who have said, yes, there was, first of all, there is a protocol that when you go into that caucus vote, um, it is part of the standard operating procedure that whoever wins the vote, you acclimate around that candidate and you vote for that candidate on the floor. Now, the people who didn't do that point to Larry Householder. I'm not going to go into the weeds on that, the differences between Householder and Stevens. However, that's kind of the, the, the standard operating procedure. In addition to that, my understanding is there was a vote after Derek Maron won on November 16th, and it was a, a unanimous vote. No one voted against it. So um, that is the big, uh, I guess, linchpin here that really got Tom Patton into some of this. Now, um, he wouldn't allow me to interview him on these matters at hand, stating he wanted me to come to Cleveland to do so. But I will note that he gave an interview to the Ohio Capitol Journal uh, in <laughs> WEWS Channel 5 um, back in late Capitol February. Journal. By the way, just to follow up on that, he has refused our request for interviews as well. We have reached out to him uh, numerous times since uh, January 3rd when he pulled this, uh, and he has refused to come on, <clears throat> and I think there's a pretty good reason why. And by the way, as part of the evidence, before you continue with your your punch list, uh, Jack, uh, just to assert or to reassert what you just said, it has been confirmed that the GOP caucus meeting in November, all members present supported, unanimously supporting, uh, Representative Marin for Speaker. Representative Hoops reminded the GOP caucus of this when he seconded the motion for Representative Marin to be Speaker. In addressing the Butler County GOP, Representatives Gross, Tom Hall, uh, and uh, uh, Rodney Creech all stated there was unanimous consent that the GOP caucus would support Representative Marin for Speaker, and nobody spoke in opposition, including Tom Patton. It was confirmed and verified with Representative Ron Ferguson that Representative Patton was present, and there was unanimous consent. No one spoke in opposition. So if Tom Patton did not like this idea, because and part of his defense is that there's no official rule, and this is part of his defense, Jack, you probably have read this, quote from Tom Patton's uh, statement in his defense on March 3rd, 
I keep hearing similarly false accounts that a unit rule or unanimity rule exists within the Ohio House Republican Caucus. I'm a member of that caucus, and sadly, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, let's see. As a long-standing member of that caucus, I assure you there is no such rule. So since there's no unanimity rule per se in the caucus, he is saying that he is free to not abide by uh, the unanimity clause, if you will, that was simply part of the standard operating procedure or the standard protocol that they use. He was given an opportunity to rise and say there's no mandate that we all have to vote for him just because he won this. There's no unanimity rule here, so I can do whatever I want. He did not rise in opposition, which means that he, by default, gave his approval for the agreement to vote, uh, for everyone to vote unanimously, 67 to nothing for Derek Maron. Well, two things. It, it's kind of he said, she said, right? Uh, I have representatives who say Tom Patton was president and did not rise in opposition. I have people who have said to me, Tom Patton told me he wasn't even in the room. So which is it? I don't know. Unfortunately for most Ohioans, we'll never know because we're not privy to the caucus. I can tell you what it feels like. It feels a lot like Bill Clinton explaining the cigar episode. You know, define it, right? And, and that's, I think, part of it. People get lost in the muddied water that ends up being this discussion. But that is neither here nor there. So, you know, they've cussed that. They've discussed it. There are people who say, hey, he broke the commitment, and he's saying, I didn't break a commitment. Okay, well, since then, however, text messages have surfaced in which Patton says that Marin was bad for him because of Marin's positions on right to work and prevailing wage legislation while swearing on his grandkids' eyeballs that he was not in cahoots with Stevens. Um Now, proponents of his discipline also cite his flip-flop on the Midway bike path, which that might resonate with your listeners in in your area, Bob. Yes, it does. That was originally nixed by the budget bill, and that was nixed by Patton. But his opponents say he reversed course after Democratic pressure. Uh, That's at least what one source told me. Uh, and then he multiple has sources, those... by the way, have reported that. Multiple sources have reported to that. That Tom Patton is only too eager to make happy his union friends and, quite frankly, his Democrat friends. He goes against things right. that he originally stands for uh, when he realizes it's going to be beneficial for him. That he, he essentially is selling out his constituents. He's the only Republican yeah. in, in, in the State House from Cuyahoga County. And in, in other words, he's the only one that Republicans in Cuyahoga County have to turn to to represent them it appears as though he forgot what the word representative means his job is to represent those who put him there and the republicans who put him there might as well have just now you know 12 uh what is there 12 12 democrats considering the fact that their one republican is governor governing like one continue <laughs> well said um uh, his opponents and, and those are, that are in favor of discipline they're also pointing to uh, although they're small consistent donations to Democrats, and they're going, well, wait a minute. If you're a member of the you know, Republican Party in the Central Committee, uh, why are you giving money to Democrats? And they also highlight that he said he was against householder that gave him $2,500. Um, and the other thing that they're, I guess, cussing and discussing back and forth is, well, well, as long as said, you're doing the donation thing and he gave householder yeah. that he was, quote, unquote, against, gave him $2,500, um, He's got a bit of a history of donating not to members of his own party, but to Democrats as well. 
There's a there's a relatively lengthy list of donations that he made to Democrats and Democrat co- uh, candidates and causes, Jack, which, again, begs the question, do the... You know, Republicans, even though we are a strong, uh, Republicans are a strong minority in Cuyahoga County, mm-hmm. do they have any representation in the state house at all? Yeah, I, I mean, the names like Joe DeMeo, uh, Paul Moranichuk, uh, Brendan Sheehan, uh, Deanna O'Donnell, um, those are some of the names. Now, I want to under, I want to underscore, we have to research that first. So, uh, and then also Matt Patton, uh, former Democrat um, uh, rep from the Strongsville area. So, um, no relation, you know, by the way, for those who don't know that Patton, no. P A T T E N, different. Uh, that's not a relation. So, just so we're clear. But go ahead. Yeah. So you know that's that's another thing that they're pointing to. And then I guess the cherry on top was you know Tom was saying, look, I, I, we we were censured by the the state central committee, the Ohio Republican Party. They didn't ask us to come in and, you know, they didn't cross-examine us or we didn't get to cross-examine them. We didn't get to give our side of the story. Uh, Lo and behold, though, when Tom Patton had the opportunity to do that uh, during the last Republican Party of Cuyahoga County meeting, he didn't show. And so um, that that's not voting well for him, according to people that I've talked with. Now, I'm trying to talk with Tom Patton. Um, he's not communicated with me. I will try again today. My understanding is he's lobbying pretty hard today on the phones, though, uh, calling donors. And uh, we'll see. It it might be quite a well, fireworks display tomorrow night. Well, it should be. And I am going to continue on the air uh, for the rest of this show and all day tomorrow lobbying for the exact opposite. Trans-Dems are Dems. Uh, in the vernacular of the day, trans-Dems are Dems. If he is going to identify with and support Dems and side with Dems to undercut the uh, the supermajority of the Republican Party in the House of Representatives, then he might as well be a Dem. He has no business being on a Republican state central committee he has no business being uh uh, quite frankly in the republican caucus at all i have had enough i'm tired of these people i'm tired of their games i'm tired of their um you know hamstringing the conservative movement that we went to great lengths as ohio republicans to give them uh the supermajority to support we gave them an agenda we gave them the numbers they needed to 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 uh, pursue that agenda and they turned it around 22 of them including tom Patton, they turned around and gave it away they gave that that power away, and they finally gave the Democrats, 32 of them, a seat at the table, despite their super minority status. Um, Jack, um, I've got a guest on the line here, I am told, so I want to bring him in because I think he's germane to this conversation. He is the uh, uh, chairman of the Strongsville GOP PAC, Shannon Burns, uh, joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Bob and Jack. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Thanks, Shannon. Uh, doing well. Th- thanks for coming on. I was just uh, I was just reading your uh, your text chain between yourself and uh, and Representative Tom Patton. So it's kind of uh, interesting and great that you've called. Now, is there anything you want to tell us? Well, I, I heard you guys talking about this, and obviously you're, you're right. I mean, Strongsville GOP has a, a very distinct interest in this. Uh, Tom Patton has been a, our state rep, our state senator, our state rep, our state senator, uh, for over 20 years. We've endorsed him for over 20 years. And now as the world's seen, um, you know, the, he was texting with me in December and, and beyond, swearing on his grandchildren's eyes that he was not part of this, that he was not going to screw the party and he wasn't going to go with, uh, Stevens. And, uh, clearly that's not the case. Um, I do plan and as do many other, uh, Great members of the Republican Party plan to attend 
the meeting tomorrow night, the county party is the next step in, in holding uh, Representative Patton accountable. And, you know, we're going to be in a, in a room where um, I think that there's going to be some friends of Representative Patton, but most likely it's, it's a room that's pretty hostile to him. Um, and I'll be very surprised if he even shows. Uh, he, he didn't show, uh, he didn't uh, respond to us when we gave him the opportunity. He didn't come to our meeting when we gave him the opportunity. He didn't come to the disciplinary committee when given the opportunity. Um, so, you know, he'll, he'll uh, do what he does tomorrow night, but the, the reality is, is that the party has taken one of the most unprecedented moves to remove him from his official position in the party. And um, I, I'm pretty interested to see what the rest of the members of the committee uh, do with that. Uh, I hope that they follow their conscience and protect our interest in Israel Islands um, to make certain that, you know, we don't have more of the same that's happening here. Unfortunately, it's a pretty sad situation, but we've we've seen yeah. this go really from bad to worse. Jack, I want to give you a hey, chance Bob, to respond to mind? that. You, know, you want to do it yeah. now? I, I, wanted to, I wanted to give context to the grandchildren's eyes thing, but go ahead, Jack. I'll, I'll do that after. Well, I, w- I was just going to say, um, I, I want to confirm what Shannon is saying. I, I submitted a record request to Patton's office, and so the text message that Shannon is talking about is legitimate, as is the one uh, wherein Patton says that merit is bad for him because of you know fair way, uh, prevailing wage and uh, right to work uh, stances. Um, but Bob, if you want to go ahead, I'll hold my. I do have a question. Well, you know what? Let's hold all of it because it's eleven twenty-six, okay. and I need a break. Uh, I missed it already. So let let me take a break here, and we'll go through the bottom of the hour. Uh, and if you guys can both hold on the line, let's continue this conversation. I want you to get the answers you want, Jack, from Shannon, if you can, and I want to share the context here of exactly what we're dealing with. The things that Tom Patton said as he completely misled. The, the, the chairman of the Strongsville GOP PAC, as well as, quite frankly, everybody else in the Republican caucus other than the 21 who joined him in backstabbing uh, the, uh, the, the constituents, the Republican stitch, constituents in Ohio. So I want to get more uh, of that after we take this time out on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. Okay, 11.35 now. we got about eight good minutes left with our guests. Jack Windsor is our regular Wednesday commentator on all things Ohio. Usually we stick to Ohio, and today we certainly are. He's the founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network, uh, and he's also my co-host on the uh, podcast uh, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, which I urge you to find, follow, and uh, and uh, consume. Shannon Burns is the uh, chairman of the uh, uh, Republican Party in Strongsville, the Strongsville GOP PAC, and uh, we're discussing Tom Patton and his uh, long-awaited appearance well, he didn't make an appearance at all in the in front of the disciplinary committee, to, but he's going to appear before the executive committee tomorrow uh, with the state central committee. And uh, at issue is going to be discipline for his uh, role in the Gang of 22. Shannon, um, you referenced uh, something about Tom Patton swearing on the eyes of his grandchildren that he's not part of this and he doesn't know anything about it. I want to give that context here by sharing your text chain with him if that's okay with you uh because sure. i know it's been introduced into the record here for the purposes of the disciplinary committee it's an attachment there and uh this is you i hear stevens is lobbying dems and pro-union r's are about going to back him an attempt to push Marin out of speakership you hearing same and tom Patton replied first i've heard of that one 
You said, okay, good. He said, honest to God. You said, good. Rumors are usually purposefully started. Wonder what the motive is. He said, I'd not be surprised if someone made a move. I don't recall ever having a conversation with Stevens. What part of the state? You said, not sure. I heard from someone in the, heard from someone in the Southwest, but it could have started anywhere. I will tell you this race for state chair is going to be interesting. He said, who are you supporting? Then you said, I just, I'm just saying, I got a message from a Bryant. No, I'm sorry. Is this you or him? This is him. I beg pardon. This is Tom Patton saying, I'm just saying, I got a message from a Brian Mike a little bit ago. Said he heard I was doing something he hoped I wasn't doing. I asked him what he heard. Said I was part of a movement to overthrow the Marin election. I called bull blank. Demanded a name. He finally said he heard it on Jack Windsor and Bob France on the radio. Do you know these guys? He said I was supporting Stevens in this challenge. I haven't spoken to him since the night he lost. On my grandkids' eyes. Is this Brian Mike just a blank starter? I didn't even know he was in my Facebook. So this is about as strong of a denial of his support for Jason Stevens in this uh, coup of 22, as Jack has dubbed it, um, as one can get. On my grandkids' eyes, he didn't know anything about it. Then suddenly, on January 3rd, he cast a vote for Jason Stevens, announcing, "Yeah, Marin wasn't good for me, uh, you know, because of the, the, the you know the right to work thing." I, I I am blown away that somebody could make such a statement and then take the action that he did, Shannon, and 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 it, that that says an awful lot about an awful lot about the character of the lone Republican in Cuyahoga County in that state house. Yeah, I mean, what good, what good is as a quote unquote lone Republican if he's actually voting with the Democrats? I mean, that uh, I've heard people try to use that as an apologetic uh, uh, response, right? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, take care of Tom. He's our last Republican. Well, what the hell good is he? Excuse me. What good is he if he's uh, voting with the Democrats? Yeah, well, not only voting with the Democrats, but obviously engaging in the conspiracy to make all of this happen while denying it on his, I think he said on God several times, and on his grandkids' eyes. Uh, if the man is not able to be taken at his word, especially when he swears on his grandchildren, then he's totally untrustworthy and not, in my opinion, not only is he not worthy of a spot on the Central Committee, he's not spot of a worthy in the, uh, uh, in the uh, uh, legislature at all. Jack, go ahead. Yeah, so Shannon, I think you started uh, answering this question, so I'll tee it up again. Uh, what do you say to constituents and, and maybe even Patton himself when it's said that Patton may be union friendly and a moderate, not necessarily fully conservative, uh, but it's better to have a Patton Republican or a Patton type Republican than a Democrat in the seat? Uh, is it about ideology or is it more about the alleged breach of a caucus commitment? When I look at this right now, Jack um, and Bob, uh, first and foremost, this is about ethics and his ability to be a partner in the process. He, by, by every action and by his words, has no interest in being held accountable by the voters uh, for the actions he does. Not to mention his friends, Strongsville GOP are his friends. We've, we've gone to bat for him multiple times. We've, Knock doors for him. We, you, you name it, we've done it for Tom Patton. And he just lies, just lies directly to you. If you can't hold your elected officials' word to their, I mean, that's their word is their bond. Right? He lied to his caucus. You, know, you can say what he wanted. I've talked to three members who said he was in the room when the unanimous vote was taken because it was taken moments after 
the uh, vote for speaker happened. Mm-hmm. Marin's uh, 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 nominated as speaker for the caucus. Moments later, they they do a unanimous vote, which is traditional. He was there in the room, and now he's lying to his members because he didn't follow his word that he was going to be. He was going to follow the unanimous consent uh, of the caucus. He's lying to us now, saying he wasn't there. This is like. You, what, what's that old adage, right? Every white lie, white lie adds up, and now he doesn't know which lie he's told. And now we're constantly dealing with this. We have a ethics and, and a integrity issue first and foremost. We can get to the ideology later. We could talk about all of the things that have been good or bad in the past, but you can never trust them again, right? He, you know, he goes and says he's going to co-sponsor the SAFE Act right now, which he is, but he might do that up until the point in time when he gets through this issue. And then, you know, he, can we ever trust that he's actually going to continue doing what he says he's going to do now? No. No, not at I mean, all. How, he, how, admitted, how can you trust him as a member of the party? He admitted in his text messaging to you, Shannon, that he is, um, you know, uh, he has pledged his fealty, if you will, to the labor unions and the Democrats that support him. Because, I'm again, I'm looking at this exchange. Um, you said to him on January 3rd, I implore you, don't go with Stevens. And he said, uh, responded to you three hours later after he did it, or four hours later, Marin bad for me. He was planning on right to work and prevailing wage bills. You said, not bad for Republicans. Sorry, he was bad for you. He said, the only R who got elected in Cuyahoga this last November with a ton of labor support and money. Would I have won without them? You would know better than anyone. And then you said, I, you could have told me I stood up for you and had your back, and now I look like a complete fool. Glad your union buddies are happy with you. He's admitting that the labor support and the money drove him to voting with Stevens to make the Democrats happy. Then pledges, no, we didn't make any deals whatsoever. Well, maybe you didn't sign on a dotted line any kind of a deal, but you obviously let them know that you would be supporting them if they continued to support you. And that's exactly what went down here as a quid pro quo. Or am I reading that wrong? No, you're spot on, Bob. That's Unfortunately, I mean, every time I read it, it just makes me, uh, it makes me sad, right? Because this is a guy that known forever, lives right down the street from me. And somebody that I was willing to go to bat for because I thought I knew him. And yeah. clearly I didn't. Clearly I was the, Jack, uh, I made the mistake here because, you know, I trusted him and I should not have. Jack, I'm going to give you the last word here. i got about a minute. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> no, I, I think you all have covered it uh, extensively. I, I think the thing that this will probably come down to isn't necessarily – the letter of, of any law. It's really going to be um, the spirit of the party, you know, the spirit of the practice. And is this offense, you know, is it conduct uh, tending to injure the good name of the organization or disturb its well-being? I think that's what it's going to come down to. And uh, we'll find out. We will indeed, and I and I certainly hope that enough members of the uh, executive committee and the central committee um, see the the seriousness of this and punish him and excommunicate him, if you will, from those committees, uh, censure him, make sure he gets no more support, no endorsements, no money, because uh, again, a trans dem is a dem, and Tom Patton has proven to be a trans dem. He identifies as one, therefore he is one. Jack Windsor, thank you. Shannon Birds, thank you. I appreciate everybody being a part of our conversation today. We'll see you tomorrow. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.